part of the reason we've done so much is just because I literally have a hard time stopping. Like, yeah. even when things have completely fallen apart, I almost can't not try. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. For this episode, I got to reconnect with Nick Ryder from the band Adapter Adapter. On this one, we got much deeper into his music history, and I do have to say that there were a lot of surprises to me that came out during our conversation. You know, we discussed what it was like for him playing in a metal band in his youth, uh, to what it was like learning guitar, and he tells a very honest account of the making of Adapter Adapter's new album, Sleep Spell. Yeah, thanks so much for checking this out. I appreciate you clicking play, and I hope you enjoy. I started playing bass when I was like, I think 13 or 14. I was really mm-hmm. into like Metallica and stuff. Yeah. Was pretty much the reason I wanted to play. And uh, even more than them, like uh, I've really learned a lot of stuff from them. But when I was young, they did that Garage Incorporated album where it was all oh, right. Yeah. Yep. And being pretty young. Like, I was like, oh, if these are the bands Metallica likes, then these are the bands I like. <laughs> but oh, okay. most of the stuff on that became most of my biggest influences, like Misfits and Discharge and stuff. And uh, that was all around, like, a similar time. So uh, they definitely, I don't know, for a cover album, that cover album probably influenced me more than most stuff I ever bought. But that's wow, kind okay. of was my style. like punk and metal mm-hmm. and i wanted to I, I had like a it had like a rock band in like eighth grade or something where you'd play like the lock-in or whatever but uh <laughs> i wanted to be i wanted to play really heavy stuff and it was hard to find kids who wanted to sound like that i was mm-hmm. already kind of hanging out with older guys and going to like death metal shows mm-hmm. uh started listening to black metal when i was like 13 or 14 and i was already listening to wow. like mayhem and all the stuff that was like really messed up like we're yeah. like, <laughs> check this band out this dude killed a guy and you'd be like what yeah <laughs> wow because it was like it was kind of like that with it was like the gangster rap thing like a lot of people got into that music from how controversial the surroundings were mm-hmm. but that was sort of my uh my musical upbringing was I, I started out at the very extreme end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you get into that? Like, I mean, I'm assuming your parents weren't listening to black metal and were like passing. This <laughs> stuff so like yeah. was music around in, in your house and in, in your family, like, were you just kind of drawn to that or like, or, they were you know, kind of big that, music fans in my family, but more just like uh, the early nineties was uh, a lot of stuff seemed really magical and like it was coming mm-hmm. out everywhere and even the stuff you could hear on mtv would be surprising 
Yeah, like, like 120 you, minutes and headbangers yeah. ball and all that stuff was like legit. Even like, just, great like, stuff, stay yeah. home from school just to mm-hmm. watch music videos all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I also have uh, like I have th- I'm the youngest of four brothers. Oh, and, okay. And uh, you just uh, like I got exposed to a lot of stuff way too young. But um, <laughs> I was already into like metal. But you know, like my brothers were listening to like slayer and cannibal corpse and pantera and really heavy stuff when i was like like 10 11 12 like i remember seeing like the pantera's vulgar video when i was like oh yeah yeah it came out and i Mm -hmm. i don't think i was in first grade (laughs) (laughs) just like and i also looked older like i don't know when i was 14 everybody thought i was 18 and when i was 16 everybody thought i was 21 so like i had it wasn't abnormal to hang out with like older metalhead guys and just, they yeah. didn't really, I don't know. When I was like 14, a lot of the people I was listening to music with were already like 18, 19, 20, 21. Okay. People with long hair that that's what they did. They listened yeah. to like metal and smoke weed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing that before high school and going into high school and being like, this kind of thing is my favorite thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I just fell in love with like all day brutality, like a whole day where everything is heavy. Yeah, just that kind of music was what I wanted to do. And uh, it was just really inspired by the underground side of things kind of from the start almost. Mm -hmm. And where did you grow up? It was Attleboro, correct? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cool. So what was. some of your first bands, like as from some of the research I did, you played in some metal bands before starting Adapter Adapter. Like, can you talk about that and what instrument you were playing and some of the sounds uh, of that? Yeah, um, we were called Axiom. I don't know. We were a band for about six years, and but we were kids. But that was the thing: is we were kids that were listening to that kind of music before most people we knew, and we could play that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And just because like those were the days where if you wanted to play like that, you would have to practice like endlessly, which yeah, it almost seems like super fast. Now. So were you like a, a death metal band? Like, or yeah. how would you so have we described were, the band? Yeah. We were, most people would say we we're a melodic death metal band because okay. we sounded like Swedish at the gate style stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty much what we did. And I was the, I was actually the bass player. Like I said, that was my first instrument and I was a singer <laughs> and I did exclusively all death metal vocals. <laughs> okay. Wow. And it was, we were band for about six years. We were kids, but we sounded a little better than some of the bands around here, I guess. Um, well, how old were you when you were in that band then? From the time I was, uh, well, we were called Axiom from 2004 till 2010. Like, I think oh, okay. 2004 was when we started using that name. Yeah. And then we had a bunch of demos and EPs and stuff. And the final thing was we ended up on a small label out of West Virginia called, what was it, Death Star Records. And, again, that seemed amazing as a kid to be like, some label from another state heard our myspace and yeah <laughs> and of course out. yeah it really just seemed like i don't know it seemed like uh it wasn't any big thing it was kind of just like we had a cd out and we felt like whoa this is pretty cool but it wasn't anything mm-hmm. like 
we were kids. We never had cars. We didn't have rides to the shows. We didn't have gear. Like we had a guitar player who didn't even have an amp the whole time he was in the band. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's, like, and that's what I mean. Is like I joke about it now because people like I don't know. It, we were good enough to get like interest in our music, but we weren't really enough of musicians to really try and pull it off yet. I guess. Uh -huh. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. But I don't know. The last couple, the last like year and a half was really cool. Like we finally, I don't know, we clicked at some point and played some of the shows around here that were decent. And was like, okay, we're one of the death metal bands around here. Mm -hmm. and, and like, uh, where were you playing at that time? Mostly like Providence, like at whatever shows we would try to set up in Attleboro or Providence or whatever. Like my first like you were doing ever, like oh, good to Bob was at the living room. <laughs> nice. Like, uh, and I'd already been there a bunch of times. That was the whole thing. It was like, we got to try to play at the show at the, at the living room because that'll mean we're like a Providence band. <laughs> and yeah. Well, I mean, pretty cool when you're 17. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, the history of that, that, that place was incredible, you know? So getting to play a show there is, uh, yeah. Same thing for me. It meant something, you know? So totally. Well, I mean, it's probably means more to you because of the name of your show. <laughs> oh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That was just meant to be like a vague, uh, <laughs> a nod to the Rhode Island isms of describing things where they used to be. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I hear you. Um, but were you doing a lot of DIY shows? Like what was the death metal scene like for you Ooh. in that, you know, like the late, you know, or like, you know, the early two thousands, I should say, um, like what was that, uh, experience for you what were some of the other bands that you were playing with well, um, what's kind of going on there and then? really uh we almost were the only death metal band around here at first oh, okay Even aside from some older guys that were like but th that was the days where like somebody two cities over you didn't even know them yet <laughs> yeah like, yeah like was almost yeah. brand new and people were figuring out how to use things like that but um when we started it was hard to play with anybody heavy so we would play with mostly punk bands and mm -hmm. we'd be the one really fast brutal band but everybody would mosh because that was mm -hmm. like the second you would go da, 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 people would <laughs> you get the circle pit and it's like all right it's it's going they like it yes yeah, but, yeah. Um, there was enough of uh actually i think when when i did the interview with you and hickman he mentioned that i played drums in his first band which mm -hmm. was a deathcore band. And part of my reason for even doing that was because they were trying to start a deathcore band and we didn't know any other heavy bands. And I was like, if I join this band on drums, and again, I literally wasn't even a drummer and didn't have a kit, if that says anything. Like, it was like, I'll do it. I can't even play. But I can do <laughs> the last beat. Yeah, yeah, because you've listened to bass. it forever, you know. <laughs> it was more like, if I complete another band will have another band to play with and and mm -hmm. we did like we would so we became we started doing shows together and then little by little the guys at those shows would form a band that would play at the next one and you know what mm -hmm. i mean it was and it kind of felt cool for a bit just knowing that maybe we were all kind of influencing each other and influencing because mm -hmm. it really was like you'd see some guys at your show and they'd be like we're gonna play a show with you and it'd be like, yeah. oh, look at them, they got a band now. And yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And it really, uh, again, 
if as you can tell from adapter adapter i'm pretty stubborn and i tend to stick things out long longer than i should <laughs> because by the end of it that was a, like we we're almost the first band standing and then at the end of it we we're almost the last band standing uh -huh. at least from just okay. i mean just among the people we knew yeah and i gotcha i joke around though in music it's always like two years like every two years everybody you'll know and everything about the scenes and everything is a little different Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will only know you in those two year blocks. And when you're so if you're a band for six years, like at the end of it, like that was sort of the thing is we had a we had a deal. Uh, and we had like a CD out on a small label, but we didn't know how to tour and didn't know how to do anything. We just literally didn't even know. But I really mm -hmm. wanted to be a musician, but it just yeah. seemed like you got to go live life for a bit. And that's kind of why we, we split apart just because of people like having to go do life related stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really yeah. any animosity because it was like, we already played together for a while. <laughs> it was like, I mean, we probably a... done everything we were supposed to do. But yeah, I'd love to talk about Adapter Adapter. You know, that band started in 2014, correct? Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, started as you, right? Uh, like you just, yeah. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about it was the thought up. of starting that? And, you know, obviously those that are familiar, uh, you know, Adapter Adapter has this like heavy blues sound, but can you talk about, you know, that kernel of an, of an idea of starting that type of band? There was a time when I was in Axiom mm -hmm. where all I listened to was aggressive, aggressive, like brutal music all the time. It was almost mm -hmm. all that I subjected myself to. Okay. I had a lot of anxiety and problems and this and that. <laughs> I was really stressed out all the time. It literally, as a joke, like my guitar player at the time, his name was Ben, we were just listening to some heavy stuff or whatever yeah like, yeah he said to me he was like nick dude you really gotta mellow out man he was like <laughs> you gotta listen to some different music bro like and he said he's like buy a buy a black keys album or buy he's like you know those mm -hmm. guys like this was in like 2006 or something so they still weren't but he that specifically that's what he said he's, he's like buy a black keys album you ever heard of them like check out some stuff like this like yeah. He had a very different musical background than me and kind of learned death metal from me and wanted to show me the other stuff. Yeah. But being the kind of music obsessive I was, I went to Newberry Comics like the next day or something. And I saw Black Keys Rubber Factory, which was like their current album. Mm -hmm. And I bought it and went home and was literally like, whoa, like yeah. this is two guys. Like I want to do this. And I, I didn't know anything about that kind of music. But okay. I went back to an, I went back to the store like the same week and I bought the other 
albums they had and then i also bought whatever else i could find that said fat possum records on it yeah yeah like so by the end of one week i was listening to like t-model ford and like paul wine jones and just anything i could see that had that label on it because i was like yeah. i don't know anything about this kind of music but by the end of one week i was literally telling people like i'm gonna change my whole life like i want to be in a blues duo mm-hmm. like i want to do this and it probably seemed really silly to people but like that is what i did eventually <laughs> like oh, it, bit yeah, me, yeah. it bit me that hard though where like that's cool instantly it was almost and again that's kind of a weird way to get into blues even like i don't know when you tell people you got into them from the Black Keys now, they look at you like you're an idiot or like you don't know anything about music. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've heard other interviews with you and you go pretty deep. Like you've done your your history uh, research and you know the everything that, that's uh, connected with this stuff. So, And it yeah. is weird because I still feel a strange, odd kinship with them in a weird way. Even just that like, I only looked up Captain Beefheart because of them. Mm-hmm. And, like, the song dropout boogies where I got the band name from. And I thought it mm-hmm. again, it was really odd. The newest black keys album was called dropout boogie. And I was like, wow, really? Wow. Okay. I didn't realize later, that. <laughs> me and them are all probably still listening to the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it was like a weird, like, cause again, from having, and like strange things too. Like, I mean, again, I think some people are just wired similarly because mm-hmm. what happened with me and them was like, when I, they did an album where they do all Junior Kimbrough songs and Dan's minor note has to do with like, I was in college doing this and somebody let me borrow a Junior Kimbrough record and I stopped going to class altogether. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, all I did was play guitar and was like, I want to be like this guy and this guy's music. So I guess in a way of them imitating Junior and me imitating them, like, I don't know, the blues is a bug that kind of like bites you in just mm-hmm. makes you want to do it <laughs> yeah but how did you get into yeah into the guitar part of it like how i mean it, it i'm not a guitarist but it just doesn't seem like what you're doing i mean i know what you're doing is not an easy thing uh you know from listening to all your albums but it just seems that going from like i've never done this before to what you're doing on adapter adapter like how did you even do that man you know like <laughs> well, i get by with a little help from my friends yeah <laughs> but, like uh I, don't know, I i have like a certain amount of natural ability with some things but to be honest guitar wasn't really the instrument for me um <laughs> there was a point where i was in axiom where i bought a guitar mostly so my other guitarist would have a better guitar to use on stage okay it was like i wanted to look better and sound better yeah yeah like we had crappy gear and I was the only one who had a credit card. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'll buy the gear. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it was my guitar, but it was, it was silly. It was like, I bought a guitar, but I bought it mostly so he could use it. What kind of guitar and, was uh, it? It was like remember? a Schecter. It was whatever kind of Schecter the other guitar player we had bought. Like I oh, bought okay. something similar that, so they would match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was like the silliness of it was just like, I'll get the, I'll get the type of metal guitar that you should be playing. Yeah, it almost wasn't really even for me. But mm-hmm. again, a thing with that kind of music is if with a lot of that music, it's so heavy and brutal and there's so much distortion that you'll almost never use real chords. Like most most of those bands are playing super fast single notes and power chords. So if you mm-hmm. could play bass in a band like that, 
and you just turn the gain on and put your palm on the string to mute it, it's like you play the riffs all the same way. Instead of going, you're going, and it's like, oh, I can play guitar like this. Oh, really? Okay. That was the only way I could play guitar. Like, I couldn't play slow and I couldn't play chords. And I didn't even know any chords. And it was mm-hmm. like, I did that for a little while where I wrote like metal songs and I could play super fast and I could yeah. do all that kind of stuff. But that that four year gap between Axiom and Adapter Adapter, were you like working on Adapter Adapter songs? Um, not or, really. Or like, like um, when did you start writing it, those songs on the first EP? Kind of like the almost the day we were in the studio. <laughs> like it's a it's a goofy story, but um, like I I was mostly like I stopped focusing on playing guitar because at a certain point my stepmom gave me a harmonica randomly, like as a uh-huh. present, and I just uh I started to develop on it very quickly, mm-hmm. like more than just it was weird like it didn't take me long to be like hey guys check this out and it was like whoa and it was like yeah right like why am i this is my thing i gotta do this so it's like okay i'm gonna try to join a band and be a singer and play harmonica and Mm -hmm. i'll join a blues band but that was like almost uh it just didn't really you'd almost have to form a band just to jam with but Mm -hmm. So I sat in with a lot of people. There was a time period where like, or some friends you'd go jam open mics and just make up blues. But I was Mm -hmm. trying to do that kind of music on stage as a singer and a harmonica player. And that's all I wanted to be. And I'd learned tons and tons of blues songs by that time. Like I had a huge thing of standards where it was like because that's what i thought you were supposed to do it's like you're supposed yeah. to yeah the only way i could play a gig was to show up at a gig and convince somebody that i could play their song and i hadn't even met these people sometimes uh-huh but it was like i did a gig with my uncle's band and uh i, I sat in on one song and he was like dude you gotta start your own blues band man like you're too uh-huh. you got this inside of you you need a band to do it yeah he was like just make one up and so I literally made one up. I, I, I told him like a week later, I had a band called Adapter Adapter and I didn't. And I think I mentioned that last time, like I got booked for a show. Yeah. I, I used audience members and I asked people from the other acts to play with me. And for some reason, just because I knew the songs well enough and I was so itching to play, like people would get up and dance almost immediately. Uh-huh. Which was weird because it would be like, yo, your band's good. And I'd be like, I don't even have a band. But <laughs> And admittedly, that was part of the name. I was like, it'll be adapter adapter because it'll be me and whoever the hell is there. And like, it, it it just, it bit me so hard to a point where I hadn't been in a band in so long. And I wanted to be that I was literally, you get to that crazy point where you just make one up mm-hmm. and you try to like almost will it into reality. Yeah. Well, it got real a little too fast. That was the thing is they went for me. I made up that I had a band and I didn't play guitar, but I had all these people I was trying to get to be the guitar player of the band. And I was trying to show them the songs I wanted them to play. And they were helping me learn how to play them better. Okay. I literally would like go on stage and play a song. And one of my friends would be like, Hey Nick, I noticed you're like, you're holding that chord wrong. And I'd be like, Oh, thanks. Cause it was like, that's how on the fly I was learning. Like I didn't even know how to play the chords, the songs I was performing on stage. But somehow 
admittedly though like blues is like it's it's in your feeling and i have good mm-hmm. rhythm and again mm-hmm. i came from metal where everything was really technical yeah so to me some of the songs i was playing were pretty easy and it was easy enough to go dun, 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 dun. like i was good at shuffles and that was pretty much all i did i did power yeah. chord shuffles because i didn't know chords yet uh-huh. <laughs> and we had a couple of gigs go a little too well and I was like, I need a band. I hit up this guy, Jimmy, because he had a studio. And yeah, it was, was uh, Jim Schultz, Schultz, right? Yeah. And so that's the thing is he was originally like the idea was like, I made up a band and it, now it's already real. So I need a demo so that I can re- I can recruit some musicians because I don't want to play guitar. It was like oh, okay. all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was play the harmonica and sing. That was it. Like that was the whole thing is like I need three or four guys. but. Part of why I went on stage as a small act was because of all the stuff I got into from Fat Possum. Like 90% of these bands didn't even have bass players. So I figured blues didn't even really need a bass. It just uh-huh. needed it something to sound right. And it was like my whole idea was like I basically told him I need to record a demo. And he was like, Well, are we gonna rehearse? It was like, no, <laughs> we're yeah, not yeah. gonna rehearse, like we're just gonna play. And yeah. It was like, well, what are we going to play? It's like, we'll play some of the songs I've been trying to play. And because I was just like, if we can, if I can get a demo together, maybe I can recruit some people. But oh, wow. Okay. So that first EP was just meant to be like your, your intro to, to filling out the band. It's pretty much a rehearsal. Like (laughs) it has some things are overdubbed, but it's almost completely live. And it's also the first time I'd ever played with Jimmy. And he wow. didn't know any of the songs before I showed up because I had no recordings of anything to show him. And that's why a couple of them are originals. One of them was something made up on the spot. Like uh-huh. there was like a song we couldn't get through. And it was like, well, it's got to have five songs. So we'll ma- I'll, I made one up on the spot. And that was like the outro. But uh, okay, admittedly, like it sounded pretty good. And like, yeah. <laughs> again, Jimmy was like, he was enthusiastic about it because like we did a couple of like, by the time we were on the second song was we basically just did a few takes of each song. Uh-huh. I think it might've taken two sessions to get all the tracks down, but it was kind of like, once we kind of started going, he was sort of like, I didn't think you would sound like that. Cause again, I came from a death metal background. Jimmy mm-hmm. by proxy is also the guy who recorded the Axiom CDs. So, oh, okay. He, that's when he was coming studio. up like yeah yeah that was the goofy thing is back back in the day when i started singing everyone was like i didn't know you could sing because it was like i always screamed <laughs> but mm-hmm. nowadays when i show people that stuff they're like i didn't know you used to sound like that
and and admittedly that's where it started right there because the the, the thing was is like we made the cd and it was kind of like you know we sound pretty good for a two-piece like maybe we mm -hmm. could just do it like this yeah he initially wasn't even going to join the band it was kind of like he liked playing drums and recording it's kind of what he does but it yep. was sort of like i'll do it and it was like well maybe i'll just do this and we could be a two-piece and mm -hmm. by strange coincidence like i was like i'll get some pins made with a name on them and the guy who made the pins just happened to be a dude who was like hey you know i run a label and i'd be willing to put this cd out and it was like again it wasn't no big thing but the fact was like we hadn't even been a band for six weeks and we'd already played three shows and it was like i showed back up to jim was like yo this dude said he'd put our cd out on his label yeah <laughs> it was like and it was literally like off we went like that was yeah. the whole the first three years were kind of a blur because we we literally showed up like hey we're adapter adapter and you've never heard of us but we're already like have a cd out and we're already like whatever that makes people think you are but yeah i was literally learning how to play guitar that was like the biggest problem was like i was literally writing songs to use chords because i couldn't play them yet it was like mm -hmm. you gotta write a song with a c chord to get better at a c chord Mm -hmm. And like I didn't, I never was good with amps. I couldn't even tie up guitar cables. Like I was pathetic in how little I actually knew about the instrument and how to maintain these kind of things. But for some reason, like I could play harmonica really well. And I also used to like roll around on the floor on stage. Like it was kind of like if I don't, if I can't play that well, I'm gonna make a ruckus and gonna put on I'm a gonna good knock, show. Yeah, I'm like, knock yeah, shit yeah. over. Yeah. But, that's kind of how we were for three years. So we did three CDs on that label. Mm -hmm. Me and Jimmy probably played, I think we played about 45 shows in our first year. Like mm -hmm. it, was, it was crazy. Like it seems, it seems silly. Like when you look back on it, because, but it really was like, all I'd ever wanted to do was be in a real band and be a musician. So when all yeah. of a sudden you're just thrown into that situation, you say yes to every gig. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing is we just, we never said no and we should have said no a lot, but we didn't. And admittedly, most of the, most of the time it worked out anyway. Yeah. But it was just a lot too fast. Like we went on our first national tour before we had t-shirts printed out, like, <laughs> which that's what I mean is we came back and people were like, how's the tour? And I was like, you know what? I feel like an idiot because we didn't have t-shirts. It was like, we went on yeah. the road with no t-shirts and we had two CDs out. Like yeah. we already had an EP and a full length album and no t-shirt. Like that's how little we actually knew about like touring and being in a band. But yeah, yeah. should have some merch to sell and pay for yeah. gas or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That was that was part of the reason we sold an insane amount of CDs for a band like us. Like it was because it was all we had. It was like, yeah. hey, well, that's smart. Then. We don't yeah. have that, but we have a full discography, even though we're brand new. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like, so by the end of the third year, we'd already had two full length albums in an EP. And it was mm -hmm. like they sold something like a thousand copies altogether or something like that, which yeah, seemed nice. like a lot again for a local oh, band that didn't yeah. really barely have any t shirts. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, I don't know. That was the whole, I don't know. My band is almost split in two halves. And there's those first three years where it was really like whirlwind. And then, every part of that kind of ended and since then it was kind of like a a series of like build it up and start it 
started up all over again. And then it like, because uh-huh. obviously, like I've played with a bunch of different people and everybody yeah. brings a different influence and everybody has their era. And yep. I'm cool. I'm also cool with everybody who's ever played with me, which like I'm grateful about because I don't think most people in my position would have that many ex-band members who didn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was like, it was a bizarre thing. I feel like this much time passed just because I did go from like a, well, this is the band is my life. And then it kind of grinds to a halt. And just being the kind of guy, like part of the reason we've done so much is just because I literally have a hard time stopping. Like, yeah. even when things have completely fallen apart, I almost can't not try. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know. This album was really crazy for me. Yeah. I ran an insane gamut of emotions in a couple of months and everything in my normal life kind of got turned upside down and mm-hmm. outside the band. It was really, that's kind of the thing is like my tunnel vision was like, I have to make this record. I just have to finish it because it's the only thing keeping me from kind of losing it on people right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I mean to get into yeah, the new record, uh Sleep Spell, uh, which again uh just came out in February. Um, you know, this is your fourth full length album. Um yeah. so yeah, there's a ton of stuff that you've done. But yeah, the last record you did No Comfort came out in October of twenty twenty one. So what happened in between the release of No Comfort up to uh up to this record and uh you know what what kind of inspired this one? To be honest, that's the thing is the time period is what inspired it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, honestly, that was like a thing is like, I don't know. I was trying to get ready for this interview and I was like, I don't know. I've had a tendency to kind of like glaze over things because I, I will say a lot sometimes. And you don't want to, I don't know, sometimes saying less is more. But the fact is like this record was almost kind of birthed entirely from what happened after the last one like Mm um i don't know i guess if that's a weird way to say it it's just uh when that album came out i I mean again like i had been in a band for a while and all of a sudden chris joined and was kind of like a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways and it was that thing like i said sometimes you're like i don't know if i can do this anymore Mm -hmm. but you start playing with somebody who has enthusiasm and Mm -hmm when somebody has good energy to give, they can make you feel good about what you're doing again. And mm-hmm. that was, I, I stand by it. Like at the time, no comfort was like, like, I don't know, Hickman and we played a lot of shows together. Like he was in the like, guy did a lot of shows with Cactus attack. He knew more about adapter adapter than most people. And even he was yeah. like, dude, I think this is the best adapter adapter album. And I'm not just saying it cause I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> But that really meant something to me because I was like, yeah, it really does. Because, again, it was something Hickman came in on short notice for somebody. And there was all kinds of, like, you know, it was going to come out on a label and then it got declined. And there was that time period where it was like, when somebody says they don't think this is good enough, you start thinking that yourself. And you're like, yeah, like I got to the point where I was really scared because I had invested a lot of money into it. And then I was like, now it's not even going to come out. I guess I'll do it. And uh-huh. again, like the challenge, like 
that's I learned a lot about risk reward because that was a thing. Like I almost wish I didn't have those doubts because the only problem with that record is like I didn't press enough copies. Like it just it was weird. I clicked upload and like went to bed on like I put it on like midnight mischief night and I woke up and it was already our most popular album ever. Like it was weird. Mm -hmm. Like in 12 hours, it was like it surpassed <laughs> my entire musical career. Yeah. And we couldn't i couldn't really understand what but like you know what i mean with me and hickman it was like we did it yeah. like holy crap, <laughs> we made something that people actually like yeah and for me especially it was like it felt extremely vindicating just to know that like yeah you know i don't know why i doubted myself so much mm -hmm. uh it just did and again it picked up in a different way like for whatever reason the first few people who picked up on it were mostly in europe and in germany and we started mm -hmm. getting uh a lot more press over there and a lot more i ended up trying to find distribution over there because it was hard to send so many records to germany like i was selling more records in germany than i was in rhode island which again was strange because we had no idea where it came from mm -hmm. or why just out of nowhere there's this bubble of interest but yeah again over there like we're a stoner band and i never called us that here but when they started calling us that like and then we found out we were going to be in a book about the history of stoner rock and it was like okay just go with it yeah. <laughs> like, like of course we've always rock. been a stoner. <laughs> yeah but i also like i had only recently before that got to a point where i did start saying because again like i got so sick of telling people we were a blues band like there was a point yeah. where i stopped wanting to tell anybody about that and because yeah. I was like, I didn't like what it made them think about me before they'd even heard me. Yeah. And I almost started to be like, we're whatever kind of band you think we are. Because yeah. we've always been sort of that. We've played any kind of odd show you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And like listening to your, like, there's some punk influences. There's some just like grungy stuff. There's some, shows, yeah. Like, you know, would, like, it would be like, I'm yeah. going to have you guys on because I've never heard a punk man with a harmonica. Or it would be like, yeah. Yeah. The opposite thing. Like, some people would just say, you'd hear a lot of different stuff. Yeah. But like, I don't know. That kind of became a, it seemed like a window. But again, um, there's only so much of like, like it's it's really cool when people are listening to you all over but my whole thing was like I wanted to get back to playing the kind of shows I wanted to play and I still had these goals to play like better gigs and uh mm -hmm. I also had like Chris was a really experienced musician and he'd been around the block a lot more than people I had played with so I thought that was an advantage in just not having to uh you were just kind of on the same page with people yeah um he definitely helped me have more of like an attitude of not doing like I had put up with a lot of weird stuff over the years being a one man act or a two man act. Like you just you let yourself get boxed into a corner and mm -hmm. he was pretty adamant to not let that happen. Mm -hmm. But um, admittedly, like things were really great for a while. And it's just uh, it seemed like all of the uh, like the potential in the world, like as because part of it too is like we'll make an album and then when covid's over we got a brand new album and we're like ready to rock and that's kind of yeah. what happened for mm -hmm. a little bit every show we played was the craziest show i'd ever played and it was like this is nuts yeah like it was like it just felt like wow like 
what a thing to come back to. It seemed amazing after so long. And again, to fight through, like any, every musician got through COVID in some way. Mm-hmm. We all lost all the shit we liked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. To come out of it and feel like you're doing better than ever felt really amazing. It's just, um, I don't know. We started to have a lot of bad luck again. I'm kind of, I seem to attract a lot of bad luck anyway. But, um, and it, it was just a lot of strange circumstances. And you get frustrated when you think you're doing really well, but you're not really, you don't think people you know or care about see it or things like that. You okay. start to have this weird sense of like, like, you know, we joke around like, oh, we're big in Europe. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, we're not big in Europe. We're just bigger there than we are in our hometown. But again, that sows a seed of even like discontent. You start to get mad over that. Mm-hmm. And like, that was kind of it. I think like, I don't know, we had a, everything was kind of going good. And we had a lot of shows start getting canceled again and just weird occurrences at gigs and not me, especially not having the right mentality about it. And like, you know, most local bands will say like, if you play if you play three or four bad shows in a row, some something's going to give because on a local level, like when you're putting all your time, like if you're, if you're clocking out of work early to go get harassed at a bar and it's not a fun night, somebody's going to put their foot down. Yeah. And it's kind of what happened. And like, uh, I don't know. It was just, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly on me, I guess too, because like I had, uh, I pretty much had my midlife crisis and my birthday show in the same week. Okay. And just, it was very much like, I I very much acted like it was my party and I was going to fucking cry if I wanted to. (laughs) Okay. Admittedly, it just, I had a very poor reaction to a lot of things that happened in a very short space of time. And that weekend really set me off. And that was kind of at the end of it. It was like, I think maybe you should find someone else to do this with. We thought about not playing live anymore and just doing albums. And I'd never thought about being a studio only band because in my mind, like being in a band was about being on stage. Yeah. Yeah. A record is a reason to go on stage. Like, like the, they should exist. You almost shouldn't have one without the other. But it was just, like I said, it was strange to be selling as many albums as we were and getting more popular seemingly everywhere that it didn't really affect us because we couldn't just get there. And we still didn't have any real label support or things like, that's the thing is we were doing more than we'd ever done and it was all DIY. So it was a lot of strain on me. Again, I know I probably acted a lot of the way I acted just because of the amount of people I had to interact with. And like, because again, like, you know, like I sold over 100 records out of my bedroom. Like, (laughs) it's a lot of just stuff to do. Like, people who've been playing around here for 30 years and they've never mailed a CD of their music anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so when i told like i started joking around i was like we're a post office band now and then people are like what does that mean <laughs> like it means i go to the post office every week and that is the capacity to which the band exists mm-hmm. and like i don't know i think we started almost having deprecating thoughts about it but 
the idea was that we would make an album and it would probably do even better because we were still just getting more and more popular online and yeah in weird ways and mm -hmm. because of that too like i sought out better distribution in europe like that was kind of the thing is by the time things sort of hit ahead around my birthday show everything for the album had been set up like it was uh -huh. kind of like we'd even thought these might be the last couple of shows we play and to be honest that was the thing too is i have a tendency to go along with stuff if it, if it'll make other people more want to be a part of it or go along mm -hmm. with something i think i kind of convinced myself too that like like i think that was almost a negative way of looking at it like we'll stop playing we'll stop playing live we'll mm -hmm. only do this and it was like well if that's all I'm going to be doing, then in what sense am I really even in a band? And I really kind of did start to feel that the band kind of was like almost had become fake again, like the way it was when it started. Like it was just me saying it. And I don't know. It was a very surreal thing because even as all this negative stuff was happening, it was like, don't worry dude we're gonna make an album and it's gonna be sick and <laughs> it's like we'll have uh -huh. all these fans in europe and it'll be like whatever at least more people listen to us than ever and mm -hmm. it did seem like a reason to keep doing it Yeah, I mean, with regard to Sleep Spell, um, how did you connect with Dylan Butler, who was playing drums on this album? Uh, I mean, I know he plays in other bands like, uh, you know, Nate Casolino and the Lost Arts. Dylan He's in, in Gullet. Like, Dylan doesn't play drums. He is drums. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All That's right. the first thing I learned. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, was that like a similar situation where you pulled, like you had this album and it was these nine songs, they're, they're written and you pull dylan in close to the studio time or in the studio or what was that like, experience like it was more like it was kind of strange to be honest because um i think at the time me and chris got more serious about thinking about writing an album you start looking at the newer songs that were in your set and I started trying to finish all these other numbers, but they were uh, a lot of them were just taking a long time or I mean, okay. it was spending more time on stuff than normal where like I wasn't used to having a song be completely written and then completely start over and completely rebuilt again. Like I was almost used to being like, this is a song I wrote, like, let's play it. And, okay. Uh, Chris did challenge me a bit more again, coming from a metal bat. We both had a metal background and yeah. we both, 
kind of also realized that maybe we should get heavier if the heavy crowd is what likes us and the music yeah. and the it just it felt more like stop filtering it out like just let it go in but mm -hmm. again changing change doesn't happen overnight admittedly we got kind of close to the the time where i figured the whole album would be written and it kind of wasn't like it was uh it was almost there but it was like to the point where like again it was uh there was still a lot to do and there was a lot of little things of picking pieces apart like it, it became a much more analytical situation like um from the time of that like kind of lousy show to the to the day we were going to be in the studio it was one month like to the date it was like so all of a sudden i had one month to kind of figure out what i was going to do but i didn't feel like figuring it out anymore i just didn't uh -huh. but it was kind of like as silly as it sounded it was like well you already booked the artist you already got the distribution deal you already set the whole thing up it's like you pretty much don't have a choice except to make a record this time because this is the corner oh, okay. you kind of painted yourself into but it's the corner i always wanted to be in but then sometimes when you're there it was sort of like i think i've worked too hard this whole year to not do this now even though it just got kind of uh, challenging again. Like, I don't know, I kept using the word, like, I've been in training for this album. Like, because when you're getting ready to record an album, you are kind of like that. You start mm -hmm. thinking and breathing and sleeping that album, and it's all you do. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a thing is, for two weeks, I didn't say anything to anybody. And that, again, said something was kind of off about me, because I didn't say anything about what happened for a couple of weeks. And that's probably important when you're going to make an album with a at a real studio. <laughs> yeah. And I actually just kept playing all my guitar parts. Like I didn't even I didn't stop practicing for like a day. I started practicing almost more than ever. And for one week, I got the idea was like I'll just do the drums. Like that was the thing. It was like I can do them. Like I'll do them. It's not a big deal. I'll do them. And I actually like I started rehearsing almost the entire album on drums because I really didn't know what else I was going to do anyway. And it wasn't until two weeks. Uh, it was two weeks before the first day. I feel like such an asshole now. <laughs> I didn't say anything to George until two weeks until I was supposed to be there. Cause I was like, okay, so I'm planning on still coming and recording the album. It's just, um, Chris isn't going to be there. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, he was more concerned which was really like, I don't know, George is such a personable guy. Like he was more yeah. worried about him, more worried about me, just worried about us as yeah. human beings. Yeah. And this and, is George Dusso from yeah. Galilee Recordings. Yeah. George is a great guy. Admittedly, that was part of the, he's a big part of the reason I even wanted to make another album anyway. It was just mm -hmm. I wanted to be back in there doing it with him. But when I told him of the situation, he was so, he still had like this sense of belief and well, I'm sure you can get it done. And out of nowhere, he offered to play drums on it. So oh, yeah, no, he's like, like Phil. Because he was like, "Who's going to play the drums?" Yeah. And I was like, "I think I might." <laughs> I was like, "I've been <laughs> rehearsing them," and he offered to fill in. And then all of a sudden, I was like, "Huh, you know, a guy like George, he would do that. Like, he must believe in me to some degree. He mm -hmm. seems like he just 
when I told him that and he didn't flip out or whatever, like he just was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. And it, again, it made me believe like, okay, maybe this like project will happen. Mm -hmm. I actually planned on showing up to the studio and playing with George, like as the drummer. And uh, I started sending him, like I sent him a bunch of, of video demos that I'd been sending Chris up to that point because a lot of the songs that ended up on it weren't entirely finished yet. And there were still a lot of like just videos of me playing guitar to like try to piece these songs together. Like so here's I sent this him, like riff riff section or whatever. Like here's yeah. a <laughs> yeah. I sent him all the stuff I've been kind of making. And then that kind of became the plan. But for whatever reason, like a couple more, <laughs> I think it was a couple, it might have been a day later or later that same day. Like after George had offered to do it, I uh, I figured maybe that might be like it might be a lot to ask of somebody because he's already doing a lot. For, out of complete nowhere, I hit up Dylan because he's he's offered to fill in in the past. He's just a very busy guy all the time, mm -hmm. and it never lined up. But we've done tons of shows together, mm -hmm. like over the years, playing in different bands. But he'd played with Adapter Adapter on the bill a bunch of times. And he was always a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. He's a great drummer. And it probably seemed nuts at the time because I hit him up almost out of nowhere. And I was like, hey, dude, this is a long shot. But like, I got to make an album like this weekend. Like, do you want to be on it? And his <laughs> response was, that sounds exciting. That's cool. Like, like that word, like I literally was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like for whatever reason, like, and he started hitting me back up like, he committed to it in like an instant and it was kind of crazy because like it was literally like it's we're doing it this weekend and mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff i said probably sounded crazy because he was even like well are you thinking about cutting it down to an ep because it's such short notice and it was like no because it has to be an lp for the for the for the deal to go through <laughs> like yeah. you don't want an ep over there it's like it has yeah. to be a full and that's kind of, it probably sounded crazy too, because I was saying like, I would say things like, and admittedly, like he's a great drummer, but he was like, I'm worried that it'll be up to the standard or it'll be. And I was like, dude, it doesn't even matter. Like it's already <laughs> like, this is, it's already in motion. Like it's, mm -hmm. if the album sucks, it doesn't matter. And like, again, that was a, a shitty thing I kept repeating. George told me at one point to not say that either, because I was saying it even in studio. It was like, dude, it doesn't really matter how good it is. Like, it just has to be. Like, yeah. I really did have a very strange kind of outlook on it. But, but I, I'm thinking that that might have been helpful. You know, again, like, I, I've, you know, what you were just saying, and I've had that experience where there's, like, so much energy and, like, expectation that I put into this of, like, I need to make something great that I, like, overthink stuff. And, you know, instead of just playing, instead of it just being, like, this is what naturally comes out. Because, again, to be honest, so we can get, like, a little bit deeper into this. I knew that it was quick that Dylan came in, but I didn't know it was that quick. And, <laughs> and honestly, there's a lot of like technical stuff on this record. Yeah, like it's not it's just weird. like, Oh, cool. This is like <laughs> four, four. It's going to go verse, chorus, verse, chorus out. You know, it's like, here's these little changes. Here's these little like drum fill parts. Like it's a, it's a really good record. But again, I think going to, to what you were just saying, maybe it was just taking that, 
step back, not ha- like putting so much pressure on it, like being self-deprecating, which is what you were doing of like, it doesn't even matter this, you know, like just say, let it come out. You know, it was cool to hear some of that roots come back where, yeah, you have some of that like guttural singing. That's like kind of, you know, phantom in the back there. You can kind of hear it. It is super heavy. It's got some of those stoner pieces. So yeah, I mean, again, you can continue, but yeah, I'd love to, you know, shout out a couple of songs on this record. Um, Cause there's some that really like stand out to me. And, you know, again, I've, I've listened to your discography. Um, there's some songs on this album that are probably some of my favorites, you know, that you've done, you know? So um, I heard that from a lot of people. And that meant that I was like, that meant more to me than a lot because uh, especially when it was more people that said compared to all the other stuff, because then you're like, people aren't just listening to this. Now they've been listening to me and now they're reacting to my new music based on my old music. And, that's a different thing. When people's reviews start mentioning your other album, it's like mm-hmm. this is this means something to somebody. Yeah, because and that's not putting putting down it. any other stuff. You know, like it, it it's been good. You know, like what Chris did, what other you know, it, it's been good. But yeah, there's just some the sound that's here. I mean, it's it's a heavy record. Like it just has I that like almost like constant like head banging, <laughs> you know, element to it that it it draws you in. So, but yeah. a big part of that was what like. Again, so I didn't tell Dylan what to play. Like, and again, like I said, the record was like nearing completion, but it wasn't. Like, it was going to be a lot different. There was a lot of stuff that admittedly uh, Chris didn't seem as into, but admittedly, like, it was like, well, I'm into this, so I'm going to do it now. <laughs> and admittedly, yeah. like, some of it, a lot of it changed. Like, there was going to be a ballad, but it wasn't really into the ballad. So it was going to be an instrumental and or, or there was a lot of things like that. When Dylan kind of committed to doing the album, I sort of came up with a framework, but mm-hmm. we didn't have any time. So that was the thing is he had to learn. He came in on a week's notice. He showed up at my place one day and like the idea was like he was going to stay all day and whatever we get done is what we're going to record. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try to he learned nine songs that day. And what's crazy is one of them was, again, the ballad that we hadn't even actually written. And there was another song that was uncompleted and another song that was uncompleted. But it was mm-hmm. like I'd had some time to work out what I was going to play. And I wasn't writing music to tell someone what to play anymore. And mm-hmm. that was the thing is, like, I didn't have any demos or anything to really show him with drums. It was literally like, here's what I'm going to play. And as crazy as some, some of it, we was like, well, what do you think I should play? And it was like, dude, it really doesn't matter what I think you should play. Like, we don't have time. <laughs> like, you just gotta, like, whatever you play is good enough. Like, that was kind of a, again, I didn't mean to be deprecating, but he would kind of be like, well, what if I did it like this? He'd be like, dude, do it however you want. Like, I'm not going to yeah. tell you, I literally don't even have time to tell you what to play. Like, it's just, yeah. the song starts here and it ends here. I mean, I wasn't miserly or anything it's just because we were making a demo too part of it was he was going to learn i wanted it to be easy for him too and his process was that he was like i want to record i want to rehearse the entire album at least once and record it so i can listen to it all week yeah yeah like a pre-prod demo to send george like it was really impressive what he did but I, I knew that same thing too as a drummer. Like I'll just record everything and then I'll like 
listen to it constantly and then it just kind of gets into my you know into my muscles into my brain and i can just do it you know or so yeah uh, i'm with you Dylan. That with uh i do think it was more of a almost this isn't what i'm gonna play this is what i'm gonna learn how to play from oh yeah 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 like, yeah but it just hearing it over and over again it just did oh yeah but it'll, i heard that that rehearsal and i was like whoa because again i'd already been in a situation where i'd made albums with people the first time and i heard this pre-production demo we made and i was like whoa we sound good like it was kind of and again some of these songs weren't even finished like there was a song we did that i had never played all the way from start to finish and it was the last thing it like it was so exhausted like i i, I can play for three more minutes and it was like let's see if we can get through this one and it was yeah. the only time we did it and it was like okay that can be on the album too like cool. at the end of the day we what had the nine that? things that were gonna be on the album <laughs> yeah but again, a lot of it was stuff I'd never even done live. Like a lot of it, uh, more than I think I really understood at that time, because stuff uh -huh. does have to kind of sit. And admittedly, like Dylan hadn't really been in uh, a studio in a while. And he was he was a little nervous just because, again, to him, the idea of making an album like that's going to come out seemed really special. Like mm -hmm. to me, it was just something I'd already done and was kind of just going through the motions at this point. But he had all this in, uh, enthusiasm and just different kinds of energies that were like, when we started playing, we sounded pretty good almost right away. Like, but it was hard to get from the beginning of a take to the end of a take at first. Like the first couple hours we were there were really, again, sort of nerve wracked. And there was just a lot of like heavy breathing. And again, like George telling me to kind of calm down. <laughs> but that's the thing is again george is such a great engineer and good at what he does that all he kind of had to do like i don't know at, at the end of the first day i think dylan was worried at, that what he did wasn't gonna wasn't like good enough and it totally was he just he was kind of giving himself i think he just had a hard day in that studio the first time uh -huh. but when he came in the second day and again, that day in the studio was the second time we'd ever played together. So I get that. Like he's in the studio making it out with me and it's only the second time we've played together and he still doesn't even really know the songs. And it was yeah. kind of like, I hope this is all right. And it's like, I kept saying, it's like, dude, it doesn't matter if it's all right. Like, it's just like, it doesn't, <laughs> it just has to yeah. be. Yeah. But when George played, that was the thing is when George played some of what we did the first day back to him, he was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what it sounds like. And that's what George can do because yeah, there was a lot of really little things yeah. where if you're worried about this, I can do this. And if you're worried, and that was the thing is like, I don't know, Dylan's eyes lit up that second day. And he just like, he became in charge of oh, cool. like when he kind of realized who he was working with because that's a big part of it too is like george is so good at what he does that all the takes that we thought like i hope these are i hope any of this is usable it was like whoa that's what we actually sounded like and it was like nice. yeah. that made it a lot easier to get like i don't know by the end of the second day we had all the basic tracks for all the songs pretty much recorded yeah. Were you recording it live playing. or were you just trying to track the drums at first and then you we were, were going doing like mostly live? Well, I was playing guitar and I was doing a scratch vocal like for yeah. him because he needed more to 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 go. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I would say, <laughs> yeah, I would, me too. Yeah. And um 
because we did some of the takes so quick and it was just like, well, this is what we have. Like rather mm -hmm. than edit some mistakes out, there were some mistakes. I actually like, Oh, turn the volume up on that, but turn yeah. the volume up when the mistake comes and make it into an effect. Yep. And it kind of became more of like a way to, there was a lot more playing with the stuff this time. Mm -hmm. Like, Again, I spent more time in the studio once it was done kind of putting stuff on it. But there was a lot more of like, let's put an extra bass drum hit here. Like, let's put oh, okay. a little thing here just because it was there. Like, we didn't, I don't know. George kept reiterating. He's like, I'm not doing anything that you guys didn't do. It's like everything that's on it is something you guys did. Even if yep. some of it was like what he kind of turned it into. Yeah. But there was yeah. a lot of things like that. Like Sleep Spell didn't even have a drum intro and but Dylan kept the time on his rim shot. Okay. He like did a bass drum hit. Like when I played that song live with Chris, it was just me playing the riff for like a full minute until he came in. But because Dylan oh, was like, right. I want to keep I want to keep time for the intro. But yep. that's why like the way the intro came out was like there's a bass drum hit and a rim shot like in the middle of it. And then mm -hmm. it kind of sets it up for the next one. And it was only because like, oh, you know, it kind of sounds cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's not supposed to be there, but why not have it there? Can you talk a little bit about your guitar setup? I mean, I'm not a guitarist and I'm sure. uh, not a, like a big tech guy, but, uh, you know, like, again, listening well, to all of your stuff, either. you have like a pretty <laughs> recognizable sound, you know? I and, get a and, lot you know, of compliments and messages about my tone these days. And it's, again, it means I'm doing something right. Cause, uh, I have a pretty simple setup. I've for years, I'm mostly like Telecaster british amplifier like that's sort of it I don't okay any pedals i've gotten message like the the stoner rock people they're all big on pedal boards and pedal setups and people yeah, are like, like the crazy layered ones you know and like, like <laughs> i have a core three-tiered yeah. black boomer and that's yeah. my pedal and they're like yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> because they're like how do you sound like that and i'm like it's the telly man like uh but that's part of it too is like I think what year, what year is your guitar? Year. Do you have like a vintage guitar? Or do you it's have it's a 72 uh, custom, but it's a reissue? Um, okay, and I've been playing it for a while. Before that, I had a modern player telly, and before that, I had like an Epiphone Prophecy that people had thought I'd made. Um, that's kind of the guitar that helped me get like for years and years. I never had great gear, and I learned to if you can get good tones with lousy gear, when you get good tones, like when you i mean when you get good gear gear years later those tones come out easy yeah because yeah 
it is something like as somebody who doesn't even really consider myself a guitar player, people do seem to think I have a good grasp of tone. And how do you get one guitar to sound like that? Uh-huh. Like, cool. Oh, <laughs> Again, like, um, another thing too was the funniest. Like this, I'm so not guitar. Like, oh, uh, I showed up to do guitar one day and I forgot my guitar. Like that's literally I showed up to the studio at, at the to, studio. Do, to, do, to, get, to do guitar parts. And George is like, where's your guitar? And I was like, oh, man, I didn't bring it. And it was like, <laughs> that was really stupid. But it was like, hey, this is a studio, right? Like, you got guitars. Um, I'm going to have to ask him what it was because he actually let me. There was um, some of the lead guitar I did. I used one of his guitars. which uh, Okay, made, on some of the tracks. The Guild? Um, uh, okay. Just because I forgot mine, <laughs> but it, oh, it did all right. Kind of a cool I mean, yeah, there's definitely coming. some of that's cool. Yeah, I forgot what song it's on actually. I mean, uh, but yeah, when you layered some of the guitar solos over, um, they match up well. And but that other uh tone, yeah, it, I mean, again, I'm not a, a guitar guy, but yeah, it, it probably has that that kind of guilty sound to it. So I thought it was on purpose. You've done a very good job of fooling me. I have to say that. I feel that uh, maybe there's some people that are going to listen to this and be like, whoa, all right. Like, I'm not, like, I'll be honest, like, a lot of what we did, we banged out, like, like George said, I do a lot of things kind of quickly because it's also used to how I'm used to playing. I'm used mm-hmm. to playing a kind of music that shouldn't be tedious. It should be like song to song. Yeah. And you yeah. shouldn't have to play everything a million times, but mm-hmm. I've never been much of a lead guitar player, but that doesn't really matter in my band because we never had bass and like on stage, there's no, there's licks, but there's no solos. Mm -hmm. I do all the solos on my heart. It's Mm -hmm. just, um, Hickman ended up doing a solo on the last album. That was like, ended up being one of the standouts. And like it, again, it just was something that was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, again not thinking that i was like well i'm gonna make this album and not play live anymore so it was kind of like it's part of why i put a lot more into some of the tracks anyway but Mm -hmm. with warship i literally that whole section was going to be a harmonica solo but it was wicked long because then it had the solo out so it was like it was like a 45 second harmonica solo it was way too long Uh i was like maybe i'll do a guitar solo but That solo ended up taking me about 45 minutes to record because I came in with a, oh, I wrote this other solo and then I couldn't perform it. Like I couldn't even come close to performing it. And I got to the point where I literally was like, I looked at George was like, I don't know what to do. Like I want to stop, but I don't want to stop because that's not really like, I'm not going to fucking, but it was like, but I don't know what to do. And he was Mm kind of like, just keep playing. And at a certain point, I came up with that figure where it's basically just like a modal riff. And he was like, keep doing that. Just keep doing that riff. And what you hear in Warship was like, it took 45 minutes to get two good takes. But the last two takes, it was like, all of a sudden, I like with the second to last one, it was like, oh, look at that. I kind of did it. And it was like, see if you can do it one more time. And I was like, which one do you want to use? And it was like, put them both, just layer them because it'll make me sound better. <laughs> but again, like, I don't know. I showed that to some of my <laughs> guitar style friends and I was like, check it out. It's my first solo. And they're like, this isn't a solo. And I was like, yeah, thanks. And so it was like, that's kind of how I thought about it. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I did all my vocals in almost the amount of time it takes to listen to the album. 
but oh, okay the, that one guitar solo took me 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that seems to usually happen too where there's just yeah. that one glitch uh it's but, just uh, hard. Like, admittedly, like Dylan's like, we're gonna do worship on stage. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to play. I don't want to play a solo. I just I don't like doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's too bad. That's actually, I mean, that one stands out to me. I think. I know. That, I gotta like, just... do it. That's what I told myself. Is they're telling um, me we got to do it. So I'm like, I'm trying. I'm gonna try to get better at it, and I'm gonna try to shake off that web of like, I don't like being up there and soloing and having people looking at me while I'm doing it. Even though I do that yeah. on harmonica, it's just like the way I play lead. And again, I'm different. Like our songs always have me playing a riff and then I bend a note and like it sounds like a lick. I'm good at that and going back. But yeah, actually yeah. play a piece where you have to get this much stuff in a row. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's it's stressful to me. Yeah. <laughs> again, like I, you know. Harmonica, like again, I don't think I did more than I did almost every harmonica solo on there in one take. Like it was, there was a couple that took, and again, some of them weren't even written yet. Cause there were a lot of them we hadn't even done live. So I had mm -hmm. no actual harmonica parts. It was like, okay. I'm just going to go for it. And it was like, yeah, keep it. Yeah. But yeah. That part came out pretty simple. But again, it's interesting to hear just how uh, short of, uh, you know, time you played together, just because again, the, the songs aren't, like there's some some major changes in there you know like with you know hurt myself like you know towards the second third of the song there's yeah. that like major like uh change in the what was kind of um, a big in the tempo <laughs> um, there was another song that wasn't finished and it was like how do you make it not like bo diddley and one day i just like discharge really fast, you know? <laughs> discharge is like my favorite band and for what one split second i was like what if when it stops it's like i just decided like see how this riff sounds if you play it in a d-beat style because uh -huh. the riff i play during that section is the riffs from the song but it's like whoa it sounds really different when you do it like that yeah it was yeah really just a kind of like a. it was like yo discharge is my favorite band and i've never been in a d-beat anything it's like i want to do something that sounds like them because when it comes on the record people will be like what the hell it doesn't yeah, sound no, exactly like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, and, it, and I also just love stuff when it's just like, oh, we did that once for this one section or whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, there's definitely some different sounds. Like you're kind of pulling in some almost like hardcore breakdowns for like a section, you know? Like it is definitely a, a heavier record, like a lot of like just, you know, head banging constantly through it. Um, yeah. But there's like, a lot of chugs, like, Again, it was a lot of Axiom stuff coming back. Like, yeah, doing the cool. stuff you did on stage that made those songs special. Like, yeah. remembering, because a lot of metal is about, like, especially death metal, it's like technicality comes from doing something one time and not doing it again. So that's yeah. why there's a lot of moments where it's like, play the riff like this one time and don't do it again like that. And it becomes a, oh, like, look what they did. So yeah, there's a yeah. lot of like these chugs that come out and, and they only happen once and they go back. And it's like a lot of the songs have a section like that or a yeah. section, like I said, where the first half of the song is this riff, but then you play the, this riff as the second half of the song and it's completely different. Yeah. But you're still playing the same riff. Mm -hmm. Like um, uh, Flat Earth 2 has one of those. Mm -hmm. That's a goofy thing I want to bring up real quick. <laughs> Flat Earth 2 is funny because it was it was decided to call it flat earth 2 almost on the spot 
because it's not really a sequel to anything. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when I started working on the song, it was going to be called Flat Earth Blues. And then I I met, well, I was hanging with, what show? I was at some show and Danny St. Jakes from Hammer Party was there. Yeah. And they just put out their new EP and he like gave me a copy of it. And I was like, fuck, they got a song called Flat Earth and they got a song called Federal Reserve Blues. So I was like, Flat Earth Blues, like it just kind of, huh, maybe there's some synchronicity in the air. But yeah. typically I try to do whatever anyone else around me is not doing. Or like, I just, I try not to have too many things sync up in a way. But it became almost an idea of the song was going to have a completely different title. Uh -huh. And then it was just like, I wrote it out to Dylan, like, what if it's Flat Earth 2, like the number two? And he was like, dude, that looks cool. He's like, yeah, it yeah. almost like takes a little of the, the edge off of it. Like, it makes it seem less intense of a, of a title. Mm -hmm. And also it was like, and I was like, yeah, and this way I'll tell people it's a sequel to the Hammer Party song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because again, sequels had a big like influence on this album, making mm -hmm. sequels to things <laughs> like that are kind of different, but like yeah, yeah. I don't know, it has a lot of that element to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the album is out now. You can buy it digitally. Uh pre-orders for the vinyl are up now as well. Yep. Um, you know, so head to adapter adapter bands.bandcap.com is that correct nick yeah adapter, yeah. yeah you got it <laughs> um colored vinyl it's going to be on colored vinyl again and uh get your orders in because it's i don't know it's doing a little better than i expected again so mm -hmm. if it stays up i'll be i'll be happy but i do uh i know now there's some people that still didn't get one of the last one and there's only a couple left so if you want one but Again, yeah. get on it this time for the next one because who really knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to just point out to people it's like this this album is dedicated to the memory of Nick Hidden. And oh, yes, that yes. was a big thing with me. And you know, I'm trying uh it's been a huge thing to process for everybody in the music scene over the mm -hmm. last few years. And it's like I'd be lying if I said that dude wasn't like maybe that dude was the freaking ghost that drove me to do this because mm -hmm. it was how I processed it. Like a big part of that for me was we all got to do what we got to do while we can. Cause you never really know. Mm -hmm. Like that was part of why I was like, I want to be back in the studio this year. I want to be back making an album before, because who knows? It's like, who really knows? And mm -hmm. you know, you never really know. Be, have being a cancer survivor myself like that kind of i don't know it really pushed me to get closer to other people and kind of i don't know it lit a fire in me in a weird way like i think everybody had a different type of a reaction and a different way to process it and it's yeah. like i'm not gonna lie that i didn't know nick as well as a lot of people but at a certain point i realized he was at more of more adapter adapter shows than most of the people who played in my band and mm -hmm. more than anything like it was a big deal to me to play that show with the Sons. i was already a big fan of the Sons, but we played nick's last show and we were the opening band and 
I never would have thought it would have been the last one, but it was like, in my own weird way, it's been the thing that's been hard for, for, for me to deal with. The mm-hmm. fact that it was like, why was it us? And like, admittedly, I had a lot of like survivor's guilt because I made an album about what I'd been through and about how you can get through it and then see it take someone else as I'm playing those songs before him and not fully understanding, like, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it was a heavy weight and I don't know. There was just a lot of things. I was like, shoot. Now I'm the Nick with the five letter last name. Like (laughs) it's going to be me next. (laughs) You think all kinds of crazy shit. Like you get kind of superstitious, but I think he had a big, a bigger piece of driving me to get this record done against what I thought maybe I couldn't or uh, just by example. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wanted to put out a record just to have his name on it. Like that was a big thing is I've never dedicated. I've never Mm -hmm. done a thanks list on anything usually, or it's one or two people. But it was like I it was a big thing. Like I want to have this and I wanted to say his name on it. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, that's part of my I don't know, my advice, I guess, is that be cool to the people you got around you now, or take these, don't take these little things for granted because they could be the things that I don't know, they they they'll they'll wind up keeping you up at night, but they'll also they can also be inspirational, I guess. Mm-hmm. like and it sucks to have to get it from that though and I, I think that's something a lot of us do we just wait too long but yeah admittedly that's part of why it was like i couldn't not make the record even if i thought i shouldn't it was uh-huh. like i have to do this now and i have to do this this year because who knows like who's gonna go next and it's like it could be me or it could be anyone but it just became a thing of like, say what you got to say to people now while it matters. Yeah, yeah. And if you have something inside of you, you really shouldn't wait. Like maybe you should tr- try as hard as you can to get it out. Yeah. You know, with everything that we've just kind of talked about and, and reflecting back, uh, what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment to this point? Jeez, I don't know. Having resilience, I guess. Cause this the mm-hmm. thing is like, I still haven't done a lot of what I want to do. And even though okay. I've done a lot, like, I don't know. I get sour grapes sometimes about not getting to do the shows I've wanted to do or this and that, given that we've played a few hundred shows and we've sold a lot of stuff. Like most bands around here don't have nine releases. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I, a long time exactly. to do something when it's like, people are like, how can you never on this, this festival or whatever? I'm like, well, we used to be on it like a decade ago. so i don't know i guess my biggest accomplishment is just hang is just surviving and hanging in there yeah uh, i don't know i would like to someday say my biggest accomplishment is like i found some people to play with that became like the real people in my life because i'm so used to things changing so much it's Mm -hmm. like i almost look forward more to having some kind of uh i don't know I kind of wanted to put the band down to focus on everything else in my life. And now Mm -hmm. it seems like, like having a different kind of social life or different this and that, but already this new lineup and album has kind of opened some of those doors potentially. 
I just kind of have to be patient about it, I guess. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nick. Thanks for your time. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate coming on. Uh, I'll try to get more concise as the years go on. <laughs> <laughs> I just got too much to say at this point. Mm-hmm.